All right, I want to talk about this movie, Rudy, and a, a good place to just back up is just a, a little bit of history behind the movie. It was actually uh, made in 1993. Uh, I have really mixed emotions because I remember when I watched it, uh, it was December of 93, and I was with a buddy of mine, a young man that I discipled that was going into ministry, and I had just announced that I was transitioning away from Sherwood Oaks, this is when I was here the first time, and we were moving. And I remember watching that movie, and uh, it was, it's like where I was in life. I just remember that it just was, was just such a powerful movie for me. Uh, this whole idea of never quitting. And also, Who's Your Pride? Uh, director David Anspaugh, who was the director, is an IU grad. And Angelo Pisa is actually also an IU grad who wrote the screenplay. And uh, so it's got a lot of Indiana flavor to it, and that's one reason I love it. Here's some fun facts. Uh, the movie Rudy was, uh, deb- was the debut of Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. So if, you watch, if you're a movie fan, you know who those names are. Uh, Joe Montana was on the team, but was not at all in the movie. And I'm not sure why they did that, but he was not. And Rudy was made because someone, this is interesting, uh, uh, Pisa was actually, uh, had wrote a screenplay about a movie about the Indianapolis 500, and they dropped that at the end, and he was desperate for a, a storyline, and somebody said, a brother of a brother said, hey, I overheard this guy named Rudy, and he was sharing his story, and, and he was in a hotel. I heard this story. I think it's got potential. If it's all true, this, is, this has got a movie written all over it. And so from that conversation came the screenplay that eventually became uh, this remarkable movie. In this movie, the whole idea is don't quit. It's the attitude of Rudy. And I, I just stepped back uh, weeks ago and I was thinking, okay, when I think about don't quit, and I look at the scriptures and I think, is there somebody in the scriptures that really identifies that that's their life? I thought about the Apostle Paul. You talk about a don't quit attitude. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the fact that Paul was laser focused on his mission And Paul had to battle constant pain in his life. That he was laser focused, but he was constantly dealing with pain. So if you got that scripture, Romans 1, verses 14 through 16, just follow along with me. I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that belongs, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, if you're taking notes, this is a sermon in itself. It's the three I am's, okay? All you have to do is go through this text and listen to the three I am's. Paul says, first of all, I am what? I am obligated. I am obligated. Now think about that. I'm obligated, what that means. And here's a a simple way. When I think of the word obligated, it means I owe. I owe someone something. But this is a debt he could never repay. And Paul is saying crystal clear here, I'm obligated because Jesus saved my life. It's the same obligation that every one of us should share is that Jesus saved our life. Paul went on to say in 1 Timothy 1.5, The reason this is important, because I am the worst of all sinners. Now, some of you uh, 
not some of you, all of you have brought things that you regret in your life. We all have those things. But I want you to think about Paul. When he said, I'm obligated, I want you to think of some of the regrets that he had. And at the very top of the list is this. I didn't just disagree with Jesus. I didn't just disagree with the followers of Jesus. I intentionally murdered those folks. For the rest of his life, he had to live with the fact that he wasn't just speaking out against Christianity. He was blatantly standing there watching early believers being murdered. So you got to know that whenever he traveled and he'd hear the stories of others' faith and other family members, he would begin to hear about a family member saying, you know, early on, uh, we didn't know if we were going to make it. Matter of fact, my cousin, my uncle, my father, my brother was actually murdered. And he would think, you know, I was a part of that. So when he says, I'm the worst of all sinners, there is nothing that he went through and the guilt that he felt that some of us, we all feel at times in our life like, Lord, I owe you so much. I am obligated to stand for you. And then he said, I am eager to preach the gospel. Man, not only am I obligated, I am so eager. You don't have to raise your hand, but, uh, well, raise your hand. How many have been married at least uh, five years? Raise your hand. Let's get that. Okay. Now, so I want you to go back in your memory banks. Don't look at the person you're married to and just, do you remember when you fell in love? Do you remember that? Why are you shaking your head like I don't have my, when you fell in love, do you remember uh, how how odd you were during that experience. Do you just remember you couldn't put thoughts together? All you could think about was that other person. Uh, it was a mixture of excitement and anxiousness and confusion and depression. I mean, it was just roller. Okay, think about what that was like. And then whenever you would talk about it, this is when a friend would know. The way you talked about that person, you'd have a friend go, oh, dude. Oh, dude, you're in love. And you'd be like, I'm not in love. And they're like, no, you got it bad, okay? Do people see the same thing? I, I ask myself, do they see the same thing when I talk about Jesus? Like, oh my land, you are in love. Man, it is obvious you are so eager to share Christ, to preach Christ. All of us have opportunities to do that. And then he says, I love this, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because of the power of salvation. See, not only should we reflect on what it was like when we were in love, we need to go back and reflect on what it was like when you experienced Jesus Christ. I mean, really experienced Jesus Christ when you gave your life to Christ. Do you remember that? Because when we do, we're not ashamed. Now, when you read something like this, if you're an introvert, you're like, oh, my land, here we go again. He's saying, I need to stand in front of a bunch of people and I need to share the four spiritual laws. You know, I need the Jesus Loves Me t-shirt and the Yes to Love t-shirt. And I need bumper stickers. And man, I got to constantly be talking to the public about Jesus. That's just not me. When you hear that, I'm not ashamed. Here's what it means for so many of us, if you're, if you're an introvert. It's literally being willing to have the courage to speak up for Christ. And let me tell you where the toughest place to do that is. It's family and friends. Some of you, you're the only Christian in your family. And for you to have a spiritual conversation with somebody in your family takes every bit as much courage, actually more courage, than somebody who stands in front of a large crowd. Or maybe it's at work. 
and uh, you realize that people have swayed you at work and you're away from your faith a little bit and you've got to start standing up for what you truly believe. And when you live like that, like I'm not ashamed, let me tell you, that takes a lot of courage. And that's the very spirit that Paul wants all of us to have. Matter of fact, I love the way uh, this was on blueletterbible.org. This is Bill Acton, and this is what he said about these texts, uh, this section of scripture. I love the way he outlines it. He said, what Paul is saying is, I'm a debtor to share it, and I'm ready to declare it, and I'm not ashamed to live it. And there it is. You take that, and that's, that's the way we live our lives. That we all make mistakes. We know we're in deep debt, but we're going to move forward. We assess where we've made mistakes, and then what we do is we move forward. Uh, it was a week ago. Uh, you always remember where you were in these kinds of things. It was a week ago. We're watching IU play and, you know, against Maryland, and the wheels were falling off. So I'm watching that, and with my son-in-law and daughter and granddaughter and Marie, and, and uh, my daughter Rachel just randomly goes to get her phone, and she said, huh, I don't believe this. And we're, and we're like, what? And she said, Kobe Bryant, it says her died in a helicopter accident. And we're like, what? And I'm going on ESPN, and I'm like, it's not showing up yet, it's not showing up. And then within like a couple minutes, all of a sudden just breaking news. And it wasn't just Kobe Bryant, but what, eight other folks were on this helicopter. Just heartbreaking. And I just watched, not long ago, a documentary on Kobe Bryant. And he shared this story that I want to share with you. It's interesting. When he was 18. He was drafted out of high school by the Lakers. And they didn't play him much at all his rookie year. Uh, they made it to the playoffs. And there was an elimination game against the Utah Jazz. And uh, the coach realized he's the most talented guy on the team, even though he's 18. I've got to get him in there towards the end of the game. And so he got in there. Now, he, this is hard to believe. In a five-minute stretch, Kobe Bryant shot the ball and four air balls. And he took the last shot of the game, and it was by far the ugliest of all the air balls. And uh, all the players started surrounding him like, oh, this poor kid's going to be devastated. He's going to be, what's he going to do to recover from this? I mean, he got his big shot, four air balls. So here's what he did. On the way home, he called a coach, a high school coach, and said, when I get to the airport, I want to drive to the gym. Can you open your gym for me? Yeah, what are you going to do? He goes, just have the gym open. And he drew up a routine because he said he realized my legs weren't strong enough. I need to be stronger. And went to that high school gym and he put this routine together and he shot all night. All night. And they said, well, what about your time off? He goes, oh, no, no, no. No time off. Because that will never happen again. And I thought, you know, there's times in my life when I get the snot kicked out of me and you go through that. And what do you do? You either retreat, like, oh, man, I, I made such a terrible mistake, I can't recover. Or you say, you know what, I'm going to assess the situation. I'm going to give it back to the Lord, and then I'm going to move forward. But I am going to move forward. Getting knocked down, that's part of life. It's the getting up and moving on. That's what makes all the difference. You're going to hear over and over, we've got some goals here on the west side as far as moving forward. You're going to get tired of the word expand. So we want to, first of all, we're going to expand our life groups. We have 11 life groups. Man, we wanted to improve by 50%. Uh, hey, it's an election year. We want to double that. I'm serious. We want at least 20 life groups because 
that's where you start to connect in a very real way. We want to expand our prayer and pastoral team. They do such a, a great job, but we want more of you involved in the prayer ministry here. And then we want to expand our community outreach this beyond Sunday. We're serious about that. We don't want to be a place that, hey, you got to come visit on Sunday morning. We want to make a difference outside the walls. So when you hear things like night to shine and these opportunities, please roll up your sleeves and serve. No matter where you're at in your emotional or spiritual walk, you can serve others. Here's the second thing today that I really want to emphasize is that Paul had to battle constant pain. And here's why I want to mention that. Uh, We all deal with stress and we all have pain in our lives and sometimes we can be paralyzed by the pain that we're going to. And when we're going through that pain, we can retreat or we can move forward. And I know some of you, as I mentioned, I know these last few weeks have just been hard. But I want you to listen to what Paul says about his pain. Now, I call this Paul's punch list of pain that I'm going to share with you. It comes right out of 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. And Paul's not bragging. Just the opposite. He's saying, listen, I want you to know that if you follow Jesus... It isn't like everything gets better overnight. You have hope. That's what matters most, but it's hard. For example, and then he starts sharing what he's been through. (laughs) Five times I've been beaten, and then I received 40 lashes minus one. You remember when Jesus was scourged like that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. One time I was pelted with stones. And then he uses the phrase, in danger. I was in danger from rivers, bandits, fellow uh, Jesus followers, uh, fellow Gentiles in the city, in the country, at sea. I had no sleep, no food, no clothes. Man, Paul, that's depressing. I mean, what's he doing? He's saying, listen, this is hard when you follow Jesus Christ. And it may not be this extreme, but I'm telling you, I was willing to go through this because of what Christ has gone through for me. And that's for all of us. If you began to write your story about some of the areas of your life and your pain, uh, that's hard to talk about, but that's the reality. We all are living in pain, and he was living with constant pain. Isn't it interesting, when he shared all that in Acts 28, he was shipwrecked, and you remember he reached to get some wood, and he was bit by a poisonous snake? That's how bad it is. He doesn't even mention the snake bite. I mean, I would have led with that. You know, bit by a snake, pause, dramatic effect. Eh, I was shipwrecked. You know, no, no. He wants you to know, if you're going to follow Jesus, don't think that's your get-out-of-jail-free card, get-out-of-disappointment and pain. No, he's saying, I do go through a lot of pain, but there's hope because of the pain. But suffering is part of the Christian walk. Isaiah 53, 3 and 4 says this, Jesus, uh, the Isaiah prophet says, Jesus would be despised, he'd be forsaken, he would be a man of sorrows. In John 16, 20, listen to Jesus, what he says, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And a great word for joy is hope. But did you notice what Jesus said in life? You will weep, mourn, and grieve. You will weep. You know what weeping is? That's not the little tear when you're watching a Lifetime movie. 
or, you know, Bambi. I mean, we're not talking a tear. Weeping is from the soul. Weeping is from the deepest well of your soul. It's when the dam breaks. Uh, I'll be with people and they'll say, I have cried so hard for so long and I am numb. That's weeping. And he says, when you're following Jesus Christ, you will weep. And then he says, you will mourn. And that Greek word for mourn means to cut or to be beaten. That's what it feels like. When you're going through a really hard time, it feels like emotionally you're cut. This is exactly what Tony shared last week and did just an awesome job. If you haven't had a chance, you, need to, you really need to listen to that message on the inside out because emotionally when we're struggling, that's exactly what it feels like. Man, I, am just, I would rather be beat up physically than from the inside out suffering, but that's what mourning is. And grief, the Greek word for that is an inward groaning. It's like a man with the flu. Do you know what I'm saying? How men, when they get the flu, I'm going to die. You know, and my wife, Marie, she used to really feel sorry for me until we had our first child. And she's like, oh, suck it up. What a, what a Girl Scout. I mean, she would just, she's terrible. But I want you to think about what that means, that groaning. When I was in fifth grade, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, my mom picks up the phone. And she was crying this deep, almost guttural cry. And I thought, she, at first I thought, is she laughing? And I'm like, no, she, what is going on? And she gets off the phone and I said, mom, is everything okay? And she said, no, your Uncle Thomas, do you remember him? And I said, yeah, I remember Uncle Thomas. I said, he looks just like dad. She said, well, he committed suicide. And I just remember all the air went out of the room and she said, I, I got to go, I got to go for a walk. And I just never forgot that sound. Since then, I can tell you in ministry, um, I've heard that sound too many times. And when we walk with Christ, here's the good news. Even when we go through those darkest times, he's with us. Matter of fact, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 12, talking about his pain. Listen to what he says. Even if I should boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. Would you say that with me? My grace is sufficient. That's what we need to remember. And there are times when Paul says, I went through this period in life and I thought it would go away. I prayed, Lord, take it away. Take it away. And he didn't take it away. And some of you are dealing with that right now. There's something you've been begging, God, take this pain away. And it hasn't happened. And Paul said, hey, remember this. His grace is enough. His Grace is sufficient. He's there for all of us. He always has been. And even at the darkest time, he's there. And he gives us the courage when we've made mistakes. He gives us the courage when we're dealing with the pain to take that next step to him. This is Super Bowl Sunday. 
And uh, some of you are going to go home, probably watch all the pre-programming and all the stuff that goes with it. And then the, the game that lasts about five or six hours. I mean, they drag it on with all the commercials. And, uh, but I, <laughs> I love it. So anyway, uh, as you go into this, there's so much Super Bowl history. Uh, and some of you will remember this, not so much for being a great game, but for what has gone down as the worst call in NFL Super Bowl history. You know what it was? Some of you remember it. It's 2015, and Seattle was on the one-yard line. They had the best, most powerful running back, five feet behind the quarterback, okay? That doesn't seem like a hard call to make, okay? And the quarterback lines up, and you're thinking, it's, game's over. But he fakes the handoff, passes it right in the middle of a pack, and there's an interception. And I remember thinking, that is the worst call I have ever seen. And then over the days, I started reading all these, worst call of all time. Now, at the time, Russell Wilson, the quarterback, was young enough that he wasn't going to call an audible. I guarantee today he would call an audible. Do you know what an audible is? Peyton Manning was the best. They walk up to the line, and uh, he'll get the call. Matter of fact, I heard one offensive coordinator, they said, hey, what's it like to make calls for Walter, or, uh, uh, Manning? And they said, we don't make calls. We make suggestions, okay? <laughs> so he said, Manning, would, you know how Manning was? He'd step up, he'd listen to the call. Stupid call. Here's the real call. Audible, you know, Omaha, Omaha. You know, he would bark it out. But this is a young quarterback. He goes, uh, don't hand it off. Uh, we're going to run this play. Okay, you know, I, I just think that whole thing was a disaster from the get-go, okay? It takes courage to call an audible, though, because this guy calls it in, the experts, and quarterback has to assess the situation and go, no, no, there's a better way to do this. I want you to think about how many times in life you look back, and I look back, and I think, I should have called an audible. I looked at this situation, I'm like, no. Maybe I'm vulnerable. Maybe I'm dealing with something very painful, and I want to take a shortcut. And uh, there's a voice, but there's a greater voice that says, no. There's a spiritual audible in all of us to move forward. That's why we love movies like Rudy, when we see somebody who's willing to take whatever it takes and has the courage, uh, even if they feel like they're standing alone, they take the courage to do what is right, not what is easy. I remember a few years ago, I, I read this, and I just, man, I just love it, but uh, it's one of my all-time favorite presidents, Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, if you don't have this, please look it up, because it's called uh, The Man in the Arena. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know nor victory nor defeat. Man, that's true. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to give up. What God wants is people to say, I'm moving forward. I'm not giving up. I will do the next right thing. And then I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do what he's called me to do. That's for all of us. Whatever it is you're battling today, physically or emotionally or spiritually, you've got to have the courage to just keep taking the next step. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.